0: The following program is brought to you...
1: There goes the neighborhood. we got David Lefkowitz here. He's a Long Island arts guy. He's got his own radio show.
0: Goes the thebor welcome, everybody, welcome back to Dave's Gong By. It's so good to say those words. I'm going to say them again. Welcome back to Dave's Gone By. An hour of comedy, talk radio, music interviews, all sorts of cool stuff that we've been doing on the radio almost for seven years now, but I haven't been doing it for the past two, two and a half months. And let me tell you why. Well, old Dave moved. Dave has uh, been a New Yorker all my life. I've uh, was born in Brooklyn, and then raised for at least 35 years on Long Island. And that's where this program started back on October in October of 2002, when uh, went on a small Long Island radio station, approached them with an idea. For a talk show, kind of a different talk show that would mix just basic mm, ramblings, hopefully with some kind of circuitous point, with interviews with interesting people as well as celebrities, with arts coverage, with comedy sketches. And that's exactly what we ended up doing there for, oh, a good six and a half, nearly seven years. But, well, times change and circumstances just made it inevitable that it was time to leave Long Island. Basically, uh, my wonderful and beautiful wife, Joyce, got a wonderful and beautiful job teaching, but not in New York. So off we went to Colorado. And let me tell you, the places that we were thinking we might have to move for her career, Colorado was way high up there on the yes, yes, happy choice. I mean, uh, th- there were places... Words being thrown about like Texas and North Dakota. And when you compare Colorado to that, we're basically in Mecca or nirvana here. Not that I don't miss New York, not that we didn't have serious trepidation leaving our lives back home, all our friends, all our family. But it was something that was time to do and right to do. And one of the beautiful things about media in 2009 is that I can do pretty what I do pretty much anywhere. I let, let me explain a little bit about myself. I'm Dave Lefkowitz in case I forgot to mention that. And I first of all am the publisher of totaltheater.com which is a theater website archive of reviews from all over the world and also feature stories about the theater. That's that's one of my main jobs. My other job is co-publishing Performing Arts Insider theater journal and that's an industry publication a really cool one but it's also for people who just love the theater Broadway and Off-Broadway especially because it tells you everything that's going on on the stages of New York with all the intricate information like how to contact actors managers and when things are opening and closing and what's the gossip on shows that might be coming to Broadway a year from now it's all in Performing Arts Insider and it's, it's one of the jobs that I do the other job is doing Dave's Gong By, the radio show. Well the lovely thing, as I said, about modern technology is that much as all these things were grounded in New York and Long Island, they can still be done right here in northern Colorado. So yes, I can update a website from anywhere, and I can publish my journal from everywhere, because, you know, All the information I get is via the internet and the telephone. And I am discovering, thank goodness, that I can do this radio show from anywhere too. Because now it's all about the web. It's all about the internet. I'm not saying that we're not going to try and get this show on a Colorado radio station. I think that would be wonderful. And um, we're going to make some approaches and hopefully get us back on the air of the regular airwaves. But I'm not killing myself over it. It's okay. You know, I went to a fellowship out in uh, Los Angeles a couple of months ago, uh, a really cool thing that was sponsored by the National Endowment for the Arts and also uh, University of Southern California. And, And one of the main things they told us about the fellowship is that all the old paradigms are really being smashed. And it's been tragic in a way because newspapers don't know what to do and if they're not figuring out what to do they're just folding and losing money hand over fist and radio stations are trying to figure out what they're going to do and TV stations and the internet is figuring out how it's going to make money. People still haven't really figured out the new normal, the new paradigm of how journalism and the arts are going to be conducted on The Internet and the expanded Internet when everything gets linked together. All the music and all the television and all the DVDs and the movies that you get all become this one thing. How does everybody pay for it? What's the money cycle for it? Okay, we're we're probably still a couple of years from someone figuring out how that's all going to work. But while everybody's scrambling to figure out what to do, they've still got to keep doing what they were doing before, but in a new way. So people are doing blogs and they're doing web publications, and they're keeping their print stuff going while also doing the web. And that's great, because with everybody scrambling, somebody will probably figure out something. And meanwhile, there's tons of stuff out there in different ways. So, although you can't at the moment put on your basic radio, dial up an FM or an AM signal, you know, spin your antenna a little bit, and hear my voice tooling down the highway... Okay, so go on your computer, go to my website, davesgoneby.org, which I assume you are right now because you're listening to this, davesgoneby.org, and hear my show here. As a matter of fact, you can also hear all the older shows that I did, going back to 2002, at the website as well, in the archive section. All the shows are absolutely free. You can listen to them anytime, 24-7. You can skim through them if there's parts that you don't like, heaven forbid, and you want to get to a good part or play some parts over. It's all totally free at org to listen to older episodes of the show. But let's get back to the the purpose of this episode, which is to reintroduce myself and also to let you know that, hey, I've moved. And here's this dyed in the wool, born and bred New Yorker, finding himself in I wouldn't say cow country, although it sure smells like cows at four o'clock in the afternoon, here in rather lovely northern Colorado. So I want to tell you all about my move and all about the stuff that's going on here and all about my first impressions of living in Colorado and doing what I do. So it's going to be a little bit of a a different show in that sense because it's going to be a bit more autobiographical and me, 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 and this is what I did. Hopefully hopefully interesting for you when you listen to that, but the thing I want to talk about before anything else is the wonderful sponsors of this program. Yep, even though we've moved, our sponsors have stayed with us, which we're very, very proud of and happy to announce, and so this program is brought to you by Hewlett Minuteman Press, the copy kings of Broadway. Now, you know, there are Minutemans all over the country, but... They're franchises, so they tend to be owned by different people. Well, the Minuteman Press on Broadway in Hewlett, Long Island, is owned by the Torong family. And they've owned it since the 1970s. They're a wonderful bunch of people. Work with them all the time. Their prices are fair. Their work is excellent. And all I can say is, if you mention my name, if you go to Hewlett Minuteman Press and you tell them, Dave sent me, from Dave's gone by, you'll get 10% off any copy job big or small. Just mention Dave's Gone By, and you'll get that Whether you are doing one page or a thousand pages of a printed booklet. They can do it at Minuteman Press. Give them a call at 516-569-5577. That's 516-569-5577. Also, this program is brought to you by Fancy Schmancy Balloons. Now, it is not just a balloon place. This is the place that makes your party look spectacular. Because, yeah, of course they do balloons, but they also do giant balloon archways, and they do the centerpieces on your tables. Or if you're doing a bar mitzvah or a christening or a bat mitzvah, and you have a particular theme in mind, it can mean anything from baseball to Seinfeld, he'll do the centerpieces on the table and make the whole room conform to that theme so that everybody's happy. Plus, if you're not really good at planning parties and you don't even know what you're doing, you don't have a caterer, you don't have the DJ, Jeff can hook you up with all of that stuff. So give Jeff a call from Fancy Schmancy Balloons, area code 516-797-3229. That's 516-797-3229. Don't you deserve a Fancy Schmancy party? Performing Arts Insider, the Bible of Broadway since 1944, tells you... Everything you need to know, especially we're going to have the new fall Broadway season starting in just a couple of weeks. Don't you want to know? Don't you want to be the one at the cocktail parties to say, oh, yeah, uh, I know everything about this show coming up and this show, and I can rem- recommend this one, and I know who's playing in that? You get to be the smarty pants by subscribing to Performing Arts Insider. To find out more, go to PerformingArtsInsider.com. Well... That takes care of the sponsors, that takes care of this whole opening thing. I'll be a bit more specific about the move and about my thoughts on Colorado right after we hear a little bit of music appropriate for the occasion. Oh my gosh, folks, it is so good to be back in the neighborhood.
1: Rocky Mountain High
0: Now! I'm not an ordinary cat, I'm a copy cat! I love to make copies, so my favorite place is Hewlett Minuteman Press. For three decades, they've been on Broadway in Hewlett, printing booklets, making business cards, designing wedding invitations, and making millions of copies. Me How good is Minuteman? Hey, I used to have one life. Now I've got nine! Hewlett Minuteman, on Broadway opposite Lowman's. Tell him, Toner, the copycat sent you for 10% off. Welcome back to Dave's Gone By on this 315th episode coming at you at the tail end of August but really at the very beginning of our move and our new season and all the stuff that I really want to tell you about in this Dave Goes Off sort of segment, the special segment of the show to really catch you up because I've been off the air since June 14th. That's when we did our last regular show. As irregular as our shows tend to be. And so I just wanted to tell you what we had to do to get from here to there. Well, the first thing we had to do was move out of Long Island. And that was because my wife, my wonderful wife Joyce, got a job teaching at a college out here. And uh, she seems very, very happy and is meeting some great people. And I'm also, you know, trying to do my stuff, as I, I think I mentioned in the opening of the show that I can do most of what I do out here but you know to go from here to there it isn't just like moving across town if you're going from one apartment to another in the middle of Manhattan or even if you're moving let's say from New York to Pennsylvania I mean this is really 2,000 miles away across state and much as it was tempting in the current economic real estate climate to take the house that we have on Long Island and rent it, because we all know what's happened to mortgages and mortgage rates and that whole bottoming out of that economy for the past year and a half. Well, I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's that, that horrifying feeling that we all get when you know you could have and should have done something two or three years earlier that would have made this enormous difference, assumedly, and you didn't. And now it's coming back to bite you on the butt. Well, my wife and I were lucky in one sense, in that we bought our house on the south shore of Long Island 11 years ago when we got married. And that was, as I always say, before the bubble. It was before the whole thing went crazy with housing prices. So we got a a good house for a fair price. And as we lived there year after year, we just saw the, the value or the presumed value, the false value, perhaps, of the house just escalate and inflate and more than double, quite honestly, and you know into a realm where I'm not going to give out any kind of figures or prices because that's nobody's business. But let's just say there was a point there when had we sold our house in the middle of, say, 2005 or 2006, probably would have gotten one and a half to two times the price of what we paid for it. Not to mention that, you know, it was a house. We were living in it for 11 years, building up all that equity and also free rent, in a manner of speaking. It was really a can't-miss deal. But of course, life doesn't always work out the way you want it to. So we didn't move four years ago. We moved now at not the very, very, very nadir not the very bottom of the market, but close enough. Close enough where you you look at what you thought you were going to get for the house, even realizing that times are bad, and you just go, "No, that ain't going to happen." No, that, and then you talk to a real estate agent and you knock another ten thousand off, and then you you get some people in and you knock another ten thousand, and it was just this incredibly. Uh, Well, it's not a degrading experience, it's just debilitating, and it's really deflating when you have an idea in your head, not that you're going to get rich quick, or not that you're going to soak anybody, or not even that you're dumb enough to think that the market is the same as it was three years ago, but even so... You don't quite realize that when things bottom out, they really, (laughs) they really tunnel under. But, okay, so we have to sell this house, and we're in the middle of this. Meanwhile, of course, my wife is dealing with having to leave the college that she's teaching and get to this new college that she wants to and, and, and teach some different courses so that's a lot of preparatory work she was also looking at some other colleges that she was thinking of going to so we were going across the country to places like North Dakota and to uh, Connecticut and Ohio just you know being flown there at least she was on the other college's nickel but at the same time you know it's taking chunks out of your life and your time and your energy and finally something did come through so now okay here we are we finally made the decision. We are moving out west. We have chosen Colorado, and Colorado has chosen us. Let's, uh, what do we do? We've only got a couple of weeks to get the hell out of here. So we have to sell the house in this terrible market, and all these things they tell you on TV about staging a house and making it nice for people and uh, you know, doing all these little tricks of the trade to help increase the value of your house... Believe it or not, they're actually true. Um, and it isn't so much that they increase the value of your house, they just keep the value of your house from decreasing more. So when we first started showing the house, when we first started, started having realtors in, I thought, you know, we'd clean a room, we'd dust a little, we'd vacuum, we'd declutter a bit, and we'd think, okay, this is fine. And then these strangers would come in, and these realtors would come in, and they'd say, you've got to be kidding, this place is a mess. You're living in Beirut, people. And I I am not the the cleanest, neatest person. I, I know where everything is. I'm a stacker and something of a clutterer. I'm not a pig pen. I don't live in filth, but I do live in stacks and piles and shelves and things. And I put things down for a reason. But the problem is I'll put 50 things down for 50 different reasons in 50 different places. I know where everything is. And it's not like I'm the Lids brothers collecting newspapers for 20 years. But still, you know, you come into a house, you know I've been there. I'm living there. I'm not living in a museum with empty uh, desktops and countertops and, you know, bare space everywhere you go. I would love to, but just I'm just not made that way. And my wife, um, she's not a dirty person either, but she's too damn busy to worry about stuff like cleaning to the point where the place looks like a hotel, and we have two dogs. As we've been reminded by strangers in our house over and over again, they walk into the kitchen, the nose goes up, the eyes twitch, and it's like, oh, you have dogs. And at first we, you know, we kept the dogs there. We, people like dogs. Our dogs are really, really cute. So we say, hey, yeah, we we've got dogs. But the dogs bark and bark and bark, and they do their thing because they're house dogs, so mostly they go in the house, and then we clean up after them. So, not a good idea when you're trying to sell a house, especially since one or two of the people that we showed the house to had a terrible fear of dogs. We actually I pick the dogs up, bring them out of the kitchen, out of the house, while the realtor showed the house, just because they were, they were so panicked of dogs, and then the, these people would come into the backyard, and it, it was absolutely the most laughable thing. Because my wife and I would be standing hidden behind shrubs in the yard, coaxing our dogs not to bark so as not to frighten the potential buyers who are walking around the yard looking out our garage and looking at the back of the house. So, but the other stuff they tell you about cleaning a house and making it saleable and staging it are true. And, and they're almost counterintuitive. It's like clean the closets and neaten all your closets which to me is like nuts because the one thing is you're trying to get all the clutter and crap out of the rooms themselves. Where do you put it? It goes in a closet. How? I sound like uh, Jerry Seinfeld there for a moment. Where can you put the stuff that you clean up? If you need your closets to be empty and show how much space they've got, well, what do you do? Throw your stuff on the lawn? Somehow we manage. Basically, you manage by throwing stuff out. That's what you end up doing most of the time when you're staging a house. And it isn't about necessarily... It's about neatening and cleaning and folding stuff and throwing things under the bed. But it's really also about, do we need this? Do we not need... We don't need this? Throw it out. We don't need that? Throw it out. We, we might need that. Might we really need it within the next two years? No? Throw it out. And that... ...is the essence, ladies and gentlemen, of trying to sell a house. It's just having bags and bags and bags of garbage in front of your house. Stuff you never really thought was garbage. Stuff that wouldn't occur to you was garbage. And a lot of stuff that, had you had the time and energy... ...to really work Craigslist and eBay... ...would actually be income-producing garbage. But when you have no time and when you have no energy... ...and you're trying to do other things... ...basically it's, it's all one big bag O... Garbage. And the other thing that that does kind of work, if you've got a smell problem in your house, as we found out we sort of did with our dogs, is the dumbest thing in the world, but it works. You take uh, an apple and you cut it up and you put a little bit of water in a saucepan and you simmer it in the kitchen and the smell apparently of a cooked baking apple has a very homey, nice smell that people like, and you make coffee, fresh coffee, coffee, and apple, and maybe you like a, a candle around the house with one of those not too smelly candles, but something that makes people feel ah, not not for breeze fresh, not like you've just been splashed with an ice cube tray, but just enough to where people can go,, ah, oh you have dogs uh they know that oh yeah, yeah that's cool, so the other thing about selling a house is you, it is weird to have all these people wandering through your life. You know, you walk into a room and you don't even think about what's in the room or what's on top of the bedspread or what's on the night table or under the night table because you're, you're just buzzed by it all day and you're not seriously thinking about it. And then someone comes in who's never been there before and you're like, well, why is that out? Or I, I could have put that book away didn't even occur to me that that book was just sort of sitting out there, you know, page up. Um, it, it's this odd thing, and you become more and more in tune. And by the time a, about two or three weeks went by, we had really decluttered the place. Our, our, we felt so good because our real estate agent was so impressed with us. He was like, oh my God, you know, the living room looks terrific. Well, when I visited here a week and a half ago, it was like, ooh, but you got, yeah, wish we could have done that with all the rooms, but... There's only so much time and only uh, so much you can do. Um, And as far as the people who come into the house to look, I don't know what's worse. See, normally, I I did some dumb stuff. I'm, as you can tell, a talker and uh, an entertainer kind of a guy. And I think I'm pretty personable and well-spoken. And I also loved the house that we were living in on Long Island. I I mean I wasn't totally in love with it. It wasn't my dream house. But it was a very good house to us and I liked living there very much and I saw all the wonderful things about it that we had lived with for 11 years and I wanted to share that with people as we walked through the house. But my problem is I also knew all the flaws of the house even though they were not by any stretch major but I I would point them out too because I wanted to be honest and I wanted to show hey you know, it's a great house, but, you know, you might have to paint this, or you might have to, you know, replace a valve on that, or you might want to do, you know, this carpet really should go, and, you know, realtors are just shaking their heads, because I'm sort of like giving the game away, I'm, I'm, I'm telling people, hey, look, I'm being honest with you, I'm telling you the little flaws of the house, alongside all the, the really great things about it, so you get the full picture, and you know, that's why we're selling it for this price, Instead of a price, say twenty thirty thousand dollars higher, even so, not a good idea it 's probably as the realtor said, better for the owner not to be there when your house is being shown. Let the people make their own decisions. Um, one, one of the fun things about doing this with the people walking through is invariably the thing you always hear from the realtors and the potential buyers is well, they want new kitchens. And new bathrooms—that's what they look for, and have been looking for for a long time. If you put in a new kitchen, they say, you know, you spend ten thousand dollars; it all comes back to you when you resell, because people love the newness and the the granite or whatever the the black or silver refrigerators, whatever the hell they do. But you put in ten grand, fifteen grand, you get back twenty or thirty when you sell. And they love new bathrooms, new tile, got a, a, a new nice sink or a sink that's retro looking but new. And that's what really sells. And this this really freaks me out because, you know, think about the amount of time you spend in your house and where you spend it. Okay? Knowing me, the place I spend, I have an office in my house, and I'll spend anywhere from six to ten hours a day in that office. And I've got the bedroom. And the bedroom is where I will spend anywhere from five to seven or eight hours a day uh, in that room with an ice bag, and I, I, those are the rooms you know the bedroom and the place that I work that to me are the most important to look nice and you also want like the downstairs area to look nice when you first walk in kind of a nice feeling to walk into a a nice living room the kitchen sure you might spend an hour to two hours per day depending on how much you cook or fix up and how much time do you spend in the bed does anybody even read in the bathroom anymore? I can understand if it's uh, like the old days when people would sit down or if they have a big family and the only place they can get any privacy is to go into the bathroom, lock the door, and you could read a book for half an hour. But nobody, no, you go into the bathroom, you do your business, you take your shower. Do you spend more than, um, if you're a man, more than half an hour a day total in a bathroom? Women, do you really spend more than an hour a day? you know, with all the fixing up, with the showering and with, you know, the other marvelous things that we do inside a bathroom. How in God's name did the bathroom and the kitchen become the most important places in a house to renovate and make new when we spend, you know, eighty percent of our time in all the other rooms of the place? And and it's not just well, I think it might be an American thing because I know when I was traveling a few years ago to like Western Europe and places like that and you go to a hotel. A reasonably... I think I did have the money to spend on four- and five-star hotels. But you go to the nicer end of the medium-grade two- to two-and-a-half-star hotels and motels. And what do they do? They, they have surprisingly nondescript, almost shabby bedroom and kind of work-office, you know, living space areas. And they make the bathroom spectacular. And the bathroom is generally almost the whole, half the size of the whole room, you know, with beautiful tile and these high, gorgeous tubs and, and new fixtures and stuff. And I'm like, what the hell? What am I? I'm, I'm going to the bathroom. I shave, maybe. Actually, I don't even shave when I'm on vacation. I don't bring a razor, you know. And then maybe, you know, okay, so I take a 10-minute shower, um, Even if I were to sit and soak in a tub for a while, what do I need a big, gorgeous bathroom for? Give me a big, beautiful, brocaded, you know, bedspread, bedroom area. And they said, well, we do that for Americans. Americans love their big, gorgeous bathrooms, and I guess they love their big, gorgeous kitchens, too. So, anyway, we took, I guess, kind of a hit on that, because over the years, we never did renovate the kitchen. And we never really did renovate the bathrooms. So time after time, people would come in and they would go, yes, yes, I see you need a new kitchen and you need new this and new uh, countertops and all that. And you go, they go into the bathroom, perfectly nice, workable bathrooms, the toilet works, the, the tub works, et cetera. And they go, well, you know, the realtor would be like, yeah, you might want to change up the bathroom. It was kind of nice when one older lady walked in who was, I think, a former teacher or or still a teacher, something like that. And um, also a cat person. She had like five cats she was going to bring if she moved in. And she was the only one who reversed what everybody else said. Because you're always going to find that one person, right? And she was the one who didn't care about our den, which I always found the nicest room in the house, and didn't care about the fact that we kind of made the living room look really nice or the bedrooms were this, but, but... she saw our kitchen and said, oh, this is so charming. She didn't say, oh, wow, the kitchen's like 20, 25 years old. It needs renovation. She went into the bathroom and she said, oh, I love the bathroom design and the blue and the thing and the, the wallpaper. Know. There's always one. Unfortunately, she was not the one who decided to buy. So I can't really take her, uh, her stuff at face value anyway. But what I was going to say uh, before I so rudely interrupted myself was that I don't know which is worse when people are walking through looking at your house or your co-op, whatever if it's the people who walk through with a complete poker face almost sullen because they don't want to give away anything because if they feel that they raise an eyebrow in admiration they'll know that you'll know that they'll like the house and you'll try and get more money from them and, and, and you'll get the fish on the hook as it were so they go in, and they're like, oh, yeah, this, uh, and they complain, and they find all the wrong things, and they don't, you know, they they literally take this place that you've been living in for a decade very happily and comfortably, and they make it look, you, f- you make, make you feel like you're living in a pigsty, or they make you feel like you're in a hovel, a shat, they're like, oh, you live in this? And that's awful. <laughs> and yet, I don't know if it's worse when we've also had people come in and they say, "Oh, this is so charming. Oh, this is sweet. Oh, this is... yes, yes, we could turn. Well, this is a guest room now, but it certainly could be the second bedroom, or we can turn the bedroom, uh, the den, into bedrooms for two of the kids. And oh, this is lovely. And, so, and then you never hear from them again. You know, you they're just like they're saying all these nice things. God bless them. And then it's all chin music. It doesn't mean a damn thing. So they're both, they're both awful." <laughs> I'll be right back with more of my big move right after this. In this world, you got to give to get. Give Dave's Gone By just a little bit of money, and you'll get terrific advertising every week to listeners throughout Long Island and globally on the web. Call 516-295-1511. 295-1511, or email davesgoneby at AOL.com to advertise on Dave's Gone By. Give a little, get a lot. So um, the other thing you learn about moving is the tyranny of books and CDs. You get into different modes. It's an interesting thing when you're in this cycle, in this haze and maze of moving, where at times you're looking at every single book and every single uh, knickknack and going, maybe, well, do I, I could probably I could use this or maybe I only take it with me. But I might give it to my folks, or I might give it to my in-laws, and each one goes like that. You end up keeping a bit, and then you get into that other mode. It's all almost like a manic cycle where it goes, it's just out. It's I, I can't use it. I don't want to deal with calling somebody who might want it. I don't have time. It's in the garbage. It's in the garbage. If someone comes up on the street and wants to go through our garbage, God bless them. Let them take it. So um, when you go in. Part of that packing, though, the, the thing that pulls you out of that manic cycle is also you start looking at things and the memories flood back. Everything, almost, has some kind of memory attached to it, be it you know, remember when and where and why you bought a particular compact disc, or... You know, you you, you go through cards, greeting cards, birthday cards, and stuff like that, and you open them up. When you're packing, you don't have time to start reading, but you do. You open the card, and you're like, who's this from? Oh, oh, they're dead. Ah, and then it's like that moment of, well, they're dead, and it would be nice to remember them, but did they write something so memorable on the card that I need to keep the card? And you just keep going through this again and again and again until it's, you know, it, it does make you a little crazy. Now, the other thing that we did for this particular move was recommended by my friend Jeff. Now, you all know Jeff, if you know this program, because Jeff was the co-host, and perhaps someday will be again, when we were doing the show on Long Island Radio, Jeff Goodman. And he is also, as I mentioned, the owner and proprietor of Fancy Schmancy Balloons. Well, Jeff suggested that instead of doing a typical move, especially since it's halfway across the country. We could save a lot of money and possibly a lot of heartache by doing it to an extent ourselves. Not that we were going to drive all the way from New York to Colorado, but you get something called a pod. You, you must have seen these things. They're, they're pods, big, old, like the inside of a truck, or, or like if you see the head of a truck and then something, uh, a space and then that big, long part, on the back of it where everything goes well what they can do is they can detach that back thing and put it right on your lawn and then they give you a a key way to open the thing and close the thing up and you pack it yourself Well, which is not fun and uh, my right hip is still feeling the marvelous effects of what it's like to, to pack your own stuff but it is, uh, you know, it was kind of cool. It was, it, there was something neat about walking into this big, empty thing that's deposited right smack in front of your house and slowly filling it up with your stuff, you know, in the sense of here are these whatever, however many rooms, seven or eight rooms we had in the house, and it's all going into this one space stacked on top of another. And I was not good at this. I'm not a, a stacky movie kind of a guy. So thank God, um, a big, big thank you, to our close friends Nihal and Gregoire, who have been our friends for a few years. And Gregoire is just a, you know, he's a monster. He's a, a tiny, he's maybe a foot, mm, no, what am I saying? Maybe two or three inches taller than I am. I'm, I'm kind of a s- small guy. And doesn't seem remotely strong or, or stronger than me. And yet, when he got moving, you know, he could lift an air conditioner, he could, you know, Take boxes and stack these things on top of each other. He was like mountain man G. We were so. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure my wife's heart was fluttering a little as he took off his shirt and moved boxes around the pod with in all this muscular glory. And I was like, damn. <laughs> you know, I thought I, I was so impressive doing so much of the boxing and uh, and putting stuff away and packing. And here's this guy just showing me up completely as to the right way to stack and pack everything. Um, And it's just, you know, such a typical Long Island story because we had the pod, it was on our lawn, maybe for about a week. What happens is you arrange for it and there's a month worth of time where they bring it to you, you load it up, you call them, and then they take it away and they send it without you being there, they just they ship it, they bus it, they truck it, whatever they do, and they bring it to the location where you're going to be. But, in that time period, you have about three weeks with which to pack it. So you don't have to pack it all overnight, which is great. You know, you can, you can do it in stages. And of course, like the day after we got the power, poly- or, or the day that we're loading that thing on, some woman, I don't even think she lived on our block, but this is such a Long Island thing. This... Crabby older woman apparently drove by slowly in her car and saw this giant pod sitting on our lawn and told the pod driver the guy who brought it to us and she said like, oh how long is that going to be on the lawn and you know, I don't know I don't recall what he told her because I wasn't there at the time he 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 told this to me but uh she, he told her you know there couldn't possibly be more than three weeks at the outset and the truth was it was only there for a week because we were moving out and that thing had a go to Colorado but it's just so amazing that here are people in the midst of the turmoil of a life change okay my wife and I we've both been New Yorkers all our lives she was born in Queens I in Brooklyn we've lived on Long Island for 11 years so here's this, this fairly life changing traumatic stuff and we're doing it and we, we're, we're dealing with all this crap that has to be done to move and we've got this pod on the lawn and, and, and here's a woman she's like well how, how long is that going to be a neighborhood eyesore um well ma'am <laughs> what's more of an eyesore you know all the, uh, the little for sale signs dogging the lawns all over Long Island because no one can afford to pay their mortgages anymore I wonder I wonder well anyway the other um the other thing that uh, we had to decide before sending the pod off to meet us in Colorado is to spray or not to spray? That was briefly a question because apparently there's this big bug um, bed bug scare and infestation in and around New York and they also say that even when you clean out a pod uh, since the, the inside of the pod there's a lot of wood so Bed bugs can sort of hide and stay there in nooks and crannies, so you might be getting the little critters of the last person who moved using that pod. And, and, and this was put into our heads, and we, we got wigged out a little bit because we brought a couple of mattresses, and we brought our sheets and our pillowcases, and our clothing goes in the pod. And the last thing we want to do is unpacking our new place and start you know scratching and, and scratching two days after with big red welts. But then we said, "Well, what do you do? Well, what you do apparently is you buy a bug bomb and you plunk it down in the pod, you close it up, you set it off, and then it sits there and it basically sprays bug bomb over everything for a day or two or three, like they do, I guess, when they spray roach infested apartments or mice infested, what have you. And then you open it up and boom. And we thought about it and then we were like, you know what? I don't want to sleep on a mattress that has spent three days soaking in poison. I don't want to put on clothes that have insecticide of some sort just seeping in through the fibers and and even if you wash the clothes you certainly you can't wash a mattress clothes you can wash. I'd rather if we get a bed bug, I'll throw the thing out and get new stuff when, when we get there. I'd rather take my chances. Um, and the irony of course is that when you come to Colorado the uh Weird thing. Speaking of bugs, is now they tell you that the nice thing about summer in Colorado is that it isn't humid the way it is in the Northeast or and certainly the Southeast as well. Um, yeah, 85 degrees in Florida, 85 degrees in New York for me is already miserable because it's sunny and it's hot and you walk two blocks and you are schwitzing, as as my great ancestors used to say. It's, just, it's coming off you. You're 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 Shirt actually gets heavier with the sweat and the salt that is coming out of you. Just think 85, and forget 90 degree weather in New York. Bleh You know, when, when people, the weather people on TV in New York go on, and say, oh, it's always going to be a lovely day, it's going to be the high 80s. And I'm like, ugh, oh, there's nothing lovely about it. Anything over 74 in New York becomes almost unpleasant already. When you come out to Colorado, it is actually true. I never believed it, but that whole thing about humidity making a difference is true. 85 in Colorado is not the same as 85 in New York. It just is not. And I'm telling you this as someone who lives and lo- lives for and loves air conditioning. You know, God, I, I thank God every day that I was born in a time when air conditioning is, is prevalent or everywhere and you can have it in your home. Well, I've lived for the last three weeks in the middle of August without air conditioning in our new place because it's um, a single story except with a basement. So the basement is always cool. And then the upper story, there's windows and lots of fans, you know, ceiling fans. And you know, there were times when it was a little uncomfortable. But for the most part... It was nice, and we're talking about days that went up into the mid-90s. So you would figure the house would turn into a sweat box, but it it really doesn't out here, and and so much of that is to do with the humidity. So you would figure without the humidity, there wouldn't be any mosquitoes. (laughs) You figured wrong. Because there is humidity here, some, and there is vegetation. I expected it to be You know, so dry and just mountains and maybe cacti. But over the years, I guess people irrigate and they do what they do. And there are lawns and there are lush trees and parks. And that does add a little bit to the humidity index of what it might have been 30 years ago. It also adds beauty to the location. But it also adds insects and critters. And the mosquitoes here are probably about the worst thing you have to deal with where we are in northern Colorado I mean any time of day especially towards the evening where you get down towards dusk you go into the garden I mean near our of all things just our luck near our back door is a marvelous place where mosquitoes like to hover so if you forget your key or you can't see your key too well and you spend a minute and a half trying to open your back door forget it you know if you're wearing shorts you're going to have three or four bumps on your legs by the next morning that you're going oh god you know Ah, oh, well, no, no place is perfect. But I, I digress. Um, the other story I wanted to tell you was uh, kind of a cute story about moving and getting out of New York. Was the other thing that we were most worried about were the two dogs that we mentioned. You know, the ones who stunk up our kitchen. Well, we weren't planning on leaving them behind. We also had two aquatic frogs, by the way wonderful little things that we got from Grow-A-Frog. Remember, um, those of you who know the program, we actually had the had, one of the, the the head frog keeper of Grow-A-Frog on this program about a year or so ago. And it's this cool thing where you buy a frog in the mail. They'll either send you a live tadpole, or they can also send you a little, little, teeny, cute baby frog. It comes in the mail in like a freeze-dried envelope container thing. You open it up, you give them the right food, you put them in, in good water... And boom, and God, if if, uh, as God is my witness, the two frogs we got are older than our dogs, and our oldest dog is eight years old. So that would tell you something. That's that's a good thing. That's a cool thing to buy a frog and it lives that long. But the only problem with their living that long is, we couldn't take them with us. We were flying to Colorado. These aren't the days when you could bring more than two ounces of water on an airplane. Thank you, terrorists. So, unfortunately, we had to give our frogs away to relatives. But the dogs, we wanted to keep. But we were terrified because our dogs aren't the most socialized beasts. They're very lovable, and they don't bite or anything. In fact, one dog is is just a total people person. But the other is more of an on-guard, barky-type dog, and not necessarily the most trustworthy with strangers. He hasn't bitten anybody, but you always get the feeling that he just... Might if he wanted to. Aside from the fact that if you go into an airport and you get on a plane, you also, um, you know, you don't want to hear the dog barking and barking and barking and barking because the terror is they'll tell you, well, no, we can't put you on a plane with a barky, barky, barky dog. So if I tell you, we went back and forth to our veterinarian out in Long Island and so what what do we do? So first he says, well, you can give him a little hormone that you spray in his box or something. That make him feel calm, and you put one of your shirts with your smell on it, so he feels you're there at home. And you have a, uh, like an alarm clock, so he hears uh, ticking like a human heart. And you know, we're thinking about all these things, and we try them, and we try them in the house where we are. And still, any little motion outside, any anything at the door, our dog is like bark, 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 bark. Doesn't do anything. So we realize we've got to sedate them. We've got to keep them somewhat quiet so we can get them on the plane, keep them quiet on the plane, and at least get touched down in Colorado, and then they can bark all they want. So now we're running back and forth to the vet going, all right, how we, can we just knock them? Do we hit them in the heads with a hammer? Um, you know, can we give them heroin? Something, what? And then it becomes this thing of, well, give them half of this pill. Uh, you know, it'll tranquilize them a little bit and, and see if it works. See if it works, you know. We have relatively small dogs. They they shouldn't need a horse tranquilizer to put them out. So we give our dogs half the pill. doesn't do a damn thing. They're running around. They're screaming. They're more active than they were before. And then uh, we're giving the dog also Benadryl, which is what I used to take as a kid for allergies. Benadryl supposedly knocks you out. Except, of course, when you're a kid, I think it works in reverse, and it makes you... um, overtired and cranky, which is what I was basically 24-7 when I was a kid. So now we're, we're dosing the dogs on Benadryl and we're giving them tranquilizers and nothing is actually working. It's supposed to make them so loopy that not that they're totally asleep, but that they're just kind of dazed and moping them like So if they happen to, there's a little turbulence on the airplane, if they don't know the stewardess it's no big deal. So we are absolutely terrified though now we're going to get to the airport the dogs are going to start going crazy on us just barking incessantly and they won't let us on a plane and they won't let us get to colorado which would have been a terrible thing because my wife you know had a schedule to maintain to start teaching and to start doing the the pre-teacher meetings so thank god some things are just meant to work out these dogs that were completely unaffected by any tranquilizers that we gave them and completely Unfazed by any treats we would give them, or any ways that we could possibly beg or coax them to be mellow and quiet, were the most adorable, quiet things you ever saw on the plane. They were in their little container, their carriers, which we kept under our seats. Our feet, my wife and I, you know, kept our feet right by them. Occasionally, we reach in to the little container to pet them. You know, they had a little bit of food in there. They had something. They didn't. Eat bark they didn't squeak occasionally you know they'd scuffle about a little bit in the bag especially as we came more and more towards uh, landing and depressurizing the uh, the cabin and stuff but we're so proud of, it was the one time we've both been so unbelievably proud of our dogs which are only sort of half uh crate trained and half responsible So uh, it was their one glorious shining moment. They went on a plane and uh, we'd we'd come off and we'd apologize for bringing the dogs on the plane and they would say, oh, we had no idea you had dogs on the plane. (laughs) We were so happy. If only children were like that, you know? (sighs) So to to end this exegesis on our move from New York to Colorado, we arrive in our new town, Greeley, Colorado, named Yes. After Mr. Horace Greeley, the Go West guy, and I've heard, (coughs) excuse me, varying stories on this as to a whether he really came out here for a spell and then went back, (laughs) because he was a newspaper man from the East, and he said Go West, Go West, and then he went west for a little bit and then went back. Or I've also heard or read on Wikipedia that there are like five different towns across America named. Greeley, after him, and it doesn't mean he actually went there, they're just named after him. Either way, it's northern Colorado, it's about an hour's drive from Denver, and maybe about a half hour's drive from uh, Fort Collins, which is apparently a very nice town, uh, you know, a bit more north even of where we are. But you notice about Colorado the air, you do, everybody says it's thinner because you're a mile high, in Denver at least, it's a mile high city, and you're still, we're at the foot of the Rockies, where we are, so you figure, oh, the air's thin, and you wonder, does that mean everybody walks around going, hi Marge, hey, hey Sam, no, it doesn't work like that. What it does mean, and what we discovered very quickly, is that you can go through your day, you get up, the sun's up, it's beautiful, and you have a nice day, you have dinner, blah blah blah, sun sets. About nine o'clock at night, you get real tired and you wanna go to sleep. And you can sleep until seven, seven thirty, eight o'clock in the morning. Weirdest thing this goes on for days. Now back in New York, uh and I, I'm sure all of you know and this for yourselves, we all go to sleep at about uh twelve, twelve thirty, you know, we're we're up watching the you know, we were watching the Leno monologues or you know checking the last things on the computer or surfing youtube or whatever you're doing or coming back from the theater or coming back from restaurant get in about 11:30 12 putter around a little bit straighten up get stuff ready for tomorrow by the time you and then and then you lie in bed and it's another half hour to an hour before you really actually get to sleep yeah you're probably flipping channels too and you go to sleep at 1 o'clock in the morning, and then, up oh, work, duty calls, and you're up at 7, 7.30 next day, and this goes on for days, and everybody's walking around horribly sleep-deprived, and yet you don't really notice it because you're so damn busy living in, in New York, and that's the way you go on. And here, I mean, I can get easily 8, 9, 10 hours of sleep in a day, which is luxurious, it's almost sybaritic, and then I can do that exactly the same the next night I could, I could get 9, 10 hours of sleep 3, 4 days in a row and, and be perfectly fine with it I'm not oversleeping or anything like that and we have an active day and you know 9, at night I'm like I will go sleep and very happily wake up at six thirty, seven in the morning bright-eyed and bushy-tailed being someone who was living on anywhere from 5 to 6 hours of sleep daily in New York um, So it it is this kind of weird, interesting change of what, I guess, the height and the climate does to you. Um, And the other interesting thing that made us remember that we're not quite in New York anymore. Now, I'm not talking about New York City. I'm talking about South Long Island, the five towns, which started as real suburbia maybe 50 years ago, but has now progressed almost to being ex-urban with everything. It's all you know, the traffic is ridiculous. There there's you know wonderful stores everywhere, but you couldn't really call it country living. And again country living where we are now in Colorado either, but it still feels a little bit more suburban to the point where when we were unloading our pod, which thank God did arrive in Colorado on the same day we did, or maybe the day before we did, and we've got the door open, and the, we hire people to help us unload the pod because I wasn't going to make that mistake with my hip again. And I'm in the kitchen, and I'm talking to the guy who's helping us. Um, we're, we're renting our current house, because you know, we're going to decide if we want to stay living here, what town we want to live in, and how long we're going to stay. So for the time being, we figure renting, in a rare instance, makes more sense than actually owning. I'm never crazy about renting, but for a couple of months, why not? So, talking to the guy who's doing some of the work, unsticking some of the windows, you know, making sure that the toilet flushes, that kind of thing. And in walks a huge dog. And right beside it, this, I don't know, eight or nine-year-old kid. And the kid comes in with this giant dog and says to me, is this your dog? And I'm like, no. Now, understand, you know, I love dogs, I said. We have two dogs of our own. And... The um, dogs we have are cute little, you know, medium-sized dachshunds. And I love little dogs, and I love, like, the big Alaskan dogs, and, of course, everybody loves Labradors. But this thing was part pit. Okay, and anything to me that looks either Doberman-ish, or Shepherd-ish, or pit-ish, is on the frightening side. So here's this huge, probably 70, 80-pound dog with pit features and a Pit mouth, but but obviously a crossbreed not a full pit bull. And then this kid is like, well, here this is a stray dog. Is this your dog? And I'm like, no, it is not my dog. Get this out of my kitchen, please. And and the kid then said something which uh, really made me happy. He said, oh yeah, he almost bit the neighbor across the street. And I'm like, how? Oh, well, welcome, welcome to Colorado. <laughs> Isn't that a marvelous how you do? And luckily, the uh, guy who was helping fix the things around our house, he just grabbed the dog, you know, gently by its, I don't remember if it had any kind of collar or, or just its back of its neck, and guiding it out of the room and out of the house. And I was like, okay, goodbye, dog. Good, goodbye, first thing that I see when I'm living in our new place. I was hoping, I don't know, to see maybe deer, on the lawn, maybe an antelope now and then, you know, some some cool wild Colorado wilderness stuff, not stray dog wandering into my house. We did see bunnies, and that's kinda cool. You don't get that where we lived on Long Island. You do if you go up more towards country Long Island or in the North Shore. But in where we lived we got lovely birds and squirrels, of course omnipresent squirrels and pigeons but really no other wildlife. If you went towards Woodmere, which was near where we lived, then if you got to back Woodmere, you might see some possums and raccoons and things like that. Well, out here, we're not quite seeing that much wildlife either because we're only a couple of blocks from the school where my wife is a professor. But at the very least, I did see bunnies. And that's kind of cool to see bunnies on people's lawns and just kind of hopping about. I like that. That's kind of a a nice thing. I'm not seeing as many nice birds as I thought I would. We have more cardinals and uh, things like that, more variety back home, which I'm I'm a little surprised at. Uh, One thing that is kind of nice here is that um, biking on most levels is wonderful. If you are like me, And you like to get on a bicycle and do your errands that way or go two or three or four miles just around to see and to to do your stuff that way because it's a wonderful way to get around Um, so in Long Island biking is not that much fun because the people on the streets the traffic drives like crazy and you have to get around cars or there's just they don't you can't predict what the cars are going to do but if you bike on the sidewalk There's always tons of people coming out of the stores or walking around or this, and then you've got to wait for all the lights. It's very different here. The the streets are wide, the sidewalks are wide, and you can zip around, and a lot of it is flat. So you can just kind of do one little pedal and go, which is a marvelous feeling. But, like everything else, there's always that that pessimism side, that half-fool side. Um... What was the uh, actually, it's that George Carlin line that I just read where you know, some people see the glass as half full, some people see the glass as half empty. I say, You just got too damn big a glass. Which, well, he put it better than I do, but I I sort of like that. But the, the glass half empty portion of this is there's grass here, lots of grass, lots of trees in Colorado where we are. But because it's also that dryish, sunny, super sunny climate, you also get a kind of grass that fends for itself and I guess doesn't really need a whole whole, hell of a lot of water. And it's called goat grass. And it is the most evil thing invented around... Well, uh, apart from the mosquitoes. If the mosquitoes don't get you, the goat grass will get your tires. My wife and I blew out three tires living three weeks here. Because what this goat grass does is it isn't prickly in itself, but apparently it shoots off these little stamen seedy things that are absolutely like thumbtacks. And they just embed, smack into your tire, you can be riding along, and then three minutes later, you're an absolute dead flat. And there's nothing you can do about it because they're indigenous to the region. And it's just, if somebody could find... I know I I don't like bug bombs, but if someone can find a pesticide that does in goat grass, but leaves the rest of the grass, kind of like the smart bomb, and make it into a smart plant bomb, I'm I'm all for, I would invest in that if I had any money to invest. (sighs) So, let's see. Finally finishing up All my thoughts about this big move to Colorado here on Dave's Gone By. What else has been good here? Because I want to concentrate on the good. I've been told a lot of times I dwell a little too much on the negative. But it's good to breathe this kind of air. It's good to see this kind of light and to have this sense of... And people will tell you about that out west. You really do feel a little different. You, You feel... I mean, the sunshine is hot, and you've got to protect against it, and you've got to wear sunscreen and stuff like that, but it feels good in a way that even New York sunshine doesn't, you know, and that air in the open spaces does. Um, and I got behind the wheel of a car for the first time in 20-odd years. I'm not going to tell the whole long story about this now, but <clears throat> I got my driver's license a couple of decades ago, and my first trip out... I kind of swiped the car accidentally around the light pole. Nothing, Not a major accident or anything, but it was the day I had gotten my license. And I was like, you know, that may be God trying to tell me something about whether or whether or not I should drive. So I hadn't been in the driver's seat of a car since. But, you know, we figure we're not in New York anymore, and it's not like you just jump on a uh, train to Manhattan. you got to start driving to get around. So... Got back behind the wheel, scared as hell, um, shocking my driving teacher with language that uh, she probably knew but may have never heard so quickly and in such rapid succession at one time, uh, because you know when i 'm nervous or under the gun, I, my language tends to go straight into the toilet and did. but I got to tell you, as I started driving, I got a little more comfortable, a little more comfortable. And I'm hoping that, uh, you know, a couple more lessons, I'll be on the road. And, and feeling feeling like a big boy grown up behind the wheel of an actual car. And let's see, we went to a corn festival, which was a lot of fun. On the first day, which we missed, they husk the corn. And they have these festi- um, uh, contests how many people can husk corn faster. And then the day we went, it was a corn eating festival, which I didn't partake in. I just ate corn on my own. I didn't feel the need to be um, like the Nathan's hot dog thing about that. I, I watched. Unfortunately, that wasn't even so great to watch because they had the table set up where for the corn eating contest so people could sign up. But all I saw was kids. Mostly it was children doing the eating. And you know, a kid in two minutes, he does two and a half ears of corn. It's nothing big. He's he's eating a little faster than he normally does. He's going chomp, chomp, chomp. There's nothing remotely exciting or interesting about watching children eat corn. I wanted to see, and I did not see, like the grown-ups, the ones who have a system, like that that Japanese guy um, at the Nathan's contest who who made this thing where you take the hot dog and you dip it in the water, you break it in half, and then you eat it like this, and suddenly he downs like 65 hot dogs in 10 minutes or whatever his, his record was. So, that was, the okay, that was kind of disappointing, but not to dwell on the negative, the fair also had a pegging zoo, and it had uh, corn to eat, and really other wonderful food, and it had people bouncing on this, like, bungee thing. I have this marvelous picture, hopefully I'll be able to put it on the website, of my wife eating an ear of corn, and about a couple of feet from her, is a sign that's directing people towards where the bungee trampoline is. And the sign just says in big black letters on white, BUNGEE TRAMP. (laughs) And it's kind of neat. My my wife isn't that thrilled with this this bit, but uh, the fact that in the same shot, here's a sign pointing to BUNGEE TRAMP. (laughs) And my wife is at the other end of the sign. Well, I I found that amusing. Anyway, uh, so... I've had good Mexican food here. Surprise, surprise. They apparently you can't get really good pizza here. But, you know, you learn to do without. I did have steak on a stick. Yes, I did. At this fair thing, at this corn husking festival, they had steak on a stick. Which, okay, it's good. They take a steak, they broil it. It's actually bigger than you think it's going to be. And then they stuff it onto a stick and they sell it to you for seven bucks. And uh, not bad, it's, it's kind of like a, st- a skirt steak or, or one of the really thin cuts, but very tasty. They also did it with uh, ribs on a stick, which I was tempted to try. And someone, and I, I am not joking about this, someone I spoke to said, oh, you know what they also should do, they, and they do, but they didn't have it at the fair, pork chops on a stick. I guess if you wanted to, everything besides applesauce, you could potentially put on a stick. Well, uh, speaking of eating and pleasurable pursuits, we do live a couple of blocks, as I said, from a college, and we didn't want to live right next to the college because we didn't want, what well, apparently, all the people who, who live, because there's a lot of rentals right around where the University of Northern Colorado is because all these kids are coming in, and they need places to live, so they'll take not just dorms or apartments but there are houses that the owners will subdivide into two or three living spaces and the college kids will move in there and New Yorkers prepare to weep but they'll pay maybe 200, 300 dollars a month apiece to live in part of a house yeah, it's not New York folks so the, the downside of that is when you live near it, you do pass by tons of Houses with lawns that have empty beer cans on them and uh, empty cups that people were drinking out of. People, you know, we also live near a lot of fraternity houses. And I swear to you, that it's a little different out here than New York folks. You will see kids sitting on a couch on the porch of the house smoking from an enormous bong. Now, one can only assume or imagine... That within the bong, they've got perhaps some tobacco, a little nicotine, or maybe some dried fruit. I will hope for their sake that these 17, 18, 19-year-old kids, whatever they are, are partaking of that substance. One one never knows to one. Ah. So while you get the advantages of living near a college, which means you can use their library and there's all this hum of activity and people talking about art and culture and it also means there's going to be restaurants and places to go around there because the college kids have a have a place to go. And and the fact that, you know, especially in this time of late summer, you see a lot of toads walking around and things that they might not want to be walking around in in front of their parents, but <laughs> good for them. Um... You're also dealing with the fact of the litter and the mess and the parties at nights and the fact that, uh, you know, sort of the code of honor of fraternities where they leave their door open all night because some friend might be really, really drunk and want to stumble in and sleep on a couch for a few hours. But of course, that friend whom you may not even know might wander in and take your TV. So... And there's ups and downs, and there's ups and downs, like anywhere else, of living where we live now in northern Colorado, where, as I said, it's not exactly Chicago or Los Angeles, and it's not also like moving 30 years ago, where it was so incredibly different. You know, you move from one state to the other. Because that's what everybody says. You know, you say you were in New York and now you're moving to Colorado. And they say, oh my God, that's quite an adjustment. Oh, you're you're going to need to really get acclimatized to that. And it's going to be so different. You know what? Especially if you come from Long Island, nothing's so different anymore. Because everything is a mile or two or three from a Target, a Gap, a Ross. If you don't have a food town, then you have a Safeway. You know, and you have a Home Depot, and you've got an electronics store, and you've got a hardware thing, and and uh, you know, these days, anywhere is everywhere, but this particular anywhere is kinda nice. Let's start at the very beginning. Whether you're at the very beginning, the middle, or the end of the Broadway season, everything you need to know about Broadway, off-Broadway, cabaret, opera, and dance is in the pages of Performing Arts Insider, theater magazine. Available 21 times a year or just in the monthly edition. Either way, Dave's Gone By listeners get 10% off. So subscribe now to Performing Arts Insider and find out all the information at PerformingArtsInsider.com. I'll make
1: it easier for you. Dave's gone by. There goes the neighborhood. Dave's gone by. There goes the
0: neighborhood.
1: Dave's gone by.
0: Welcome back to Dave's Gone By, and my, how the time does go by. I've literally spent the entire episode just doing the move and talking about Colorado. There were all these other things I was planning on doing, but I wanted to get that out there, and, you know, the other stuff, that leaves it for next time. So what I do want to do in these last dwindling moments of our 315th show is remind you about how to get in touch uh, my email hasn't changed. A few other things have in the move, but it's still Dave's Gone By at aol.com. That's Dave, like my name. dave at aol.com, and please check davesgoneby.org for all the information about this show, when the next episodes are coming, how you can listen to those 300 plus older episodes, and they're not all like this one. This one was really about me blathering on about the whole big change and the move. Most of them have all these different segments, and a lot of them have a co-host, and certainly we've had wonderful guests, and music and sketches. So check them all out. Maybe start with number one, and work your way up. All at org, And by the way, all absolutely free. Please also do patronize, not in the nasty way, our sponsors, which include Hewlett Minuteman Press, the copy kings of Broadway, 569-5577, 569-5577, area code 516, for all your copy shop and printing needs, and remember, you mentioned Dave's Gone By, you get 10% off any job Big or small. Program is also brought to you by Fancy Schmancy Balloons. 516-797-3229 Balloons and centerpieces to make your party special. Shouldn't your event be fancy schmancy? 516-797-3229 is their number. Performing Arts Insider Theater Journal, it's been around since 1944, which should tell you something about its longevity and its quality. Well, it certainly tells you about its longevity. It's been around since 1944, and I've been involved with them for almost 10 years now. It is the guide to everything going on on Broadway, off Broadway, all the stages of New York, opera, cabaret, dance, if you want to be in the know about the stages of New York, Performing Arts Insider. And please go to PerformingArtsInsider.com to find out how you can subscribe and even get a special rate as a Dave's Gone By listener. By the way, please also check out totaltheater.com for over 2,000 theater reviews from across the world and over 300 feature stories about the theater there to totaltheater.com. By the way, I gave you my email address, but um, you might want to know that my snail address has changed. So if you want to send me stuff, cool stuff like money, or uh, yeah, something a little better than money, like more money, please send it to Dave Lefkowitz, care of Dave's gone by, or Total Theater actually, P.O. Box 31. Greeley, Colorado, and that's G R E E L E Y. Greeley, Colorado, 80632. That's box 31, Greeley, Colorado, 80632. Just a reminder from our good friend Rabbi Saul Solomon who will soon be making appearance on this program that you can still watch episodes of Shalom Dammit anytime on YouTube.com they're cut into short pieces you can't you know the whole half hour episodes aren't on there but they're on there if you do part one part two part three and as the rabbi says, of course, it's worth it. So watch Shalom Dammit on YouTube. I want to give a shout-out, as I said, to Jeff Goodman, who I hope to get on the show again pretty soon. He was our co-host when we were in New York. Definitely get him on the phone out here and talk to him. It'd be great to get him back. Also, I want to give a shout-out to some wonderful folks that we've already met out here in Colorado, like Susan and Ellen at UNC, and Jack, who we went to uh, dinner with, and Stephen, the cool guy at the Skinner Library. Yeah, Stephen. And Lori at Sears Realty. Really great folks. Also, want to give thank yous and love to my family, Mom and Dad Lefkowitz, to Mama and Papa Weil, and to my beloved and adorable and wonderful wife, Joyce, without whom. dot. We're going to close with a little appropriate Warren Zevon music, but it's time to leave the -er neighborhood. We will be back very soon, probably Labor Day weekend, for the 316th episode of Dave's Gone By. Until then, don't miss your days going by. This is Dave Lefkowitz wishing you a good night. Good to be back. Seasons, greetings, and gone by.
1: The phone. I said, buddy, I'm afraid to be alone. If I got some weird ideas in my head about things to do in Denver when you're dead.